0: Welcome to Think Orphan, the podcast for orphan excellence, real talk with real people navigating the global orphan crisis. Let's join our hosts, Phil Dark
1: and Kelly Stewart.
0: Welcome to the Think Orphan podcast, where we seek to help you navigate the orphan crisis with experts from around the world. We are excited to bring you our first bonus episode. We were able to sit down with Johnston Moore and discuss the Indian Child Welfare Act Um, Many of you may not know what that is, but it is currently a hot topic. And because he is such a leading proponent of um, abolishing the Indian Child Welfare Act, we wanted to just take some time and hear from him and hopefully educate you and encourage you to uh, become involved one way or the other. So let's get to our conversation. Well, Johnston, it's great to have you back on. We wanna talk about just a current hot topic that's going on in the area of foster care, and it's the Indian Child Welfare Act. So for those of us who aren't very familiar with it, can you explain what it is and why it was enacted to begin with?
1: Sure, the Indian Child Welfare Act is a federal law that was enacted in 1978. And what was happening was, uh, back in the 60s and 70s, and actually even before that, our, our nation, our government had kind of um, this assimilation strategy to try to assimilate Native Americans into the mainstream majority culture. And we did a lot of, uh, th- there was a lot of injustice. We did a lot of wrong things. We made a lot of bad decisions and and hurt a lot of people and hurt a lot of tribes in the process. And so uh, one of the things that was happening is, is that non-native social workers were going on to reservations and into Indian communities, and they were using non-native parenting standards and social work standards to judge families and saying, well, maybe this kid's being neglected because the mother's not around. But in the tribal culture, you know the the kid is with grandma and that's just you know the extended family would care for kids and so maybe the child wasn't actually being neglected but the the non-native social workers judged that child as being neglected and they would remove the kids and they were removing a lot of kids under very suspect circumstances placing them into non-native homes off the reservation very far away from the reservation and and, um and the kids uh you know were being taken unjustly and the families were losing their kids and the tribes were losing their kids and the kids were losing their culture etc and so the tribes came to Congress and said, this is a problem. And this was in 1974. They held they held hearings and uh, Congress, uh, you know, listened. And uh, in 1978, they had more hearings and they ended up uh, drafting this law and passing this law called the Indian Child Welfare Act. Basically says whenever an Indian child is involved in a, in a foster care or adoption situation, then you um, need to send notice to the tribe and uh, the tribe can intervene. And you have to follow certain placement preferences for the child, and and you know the the first placement preference would is going to be with extended family, and then you know tribal families, et cetera, et cetera. And, and they're all laid out in the act, and there are different placement preferences for adoptive placements, and uh, and then foster and pre-adoptive placements. There's a different set, but um, but it was it was basically you know it, it was in response to this. Uh, cultural genocide that was going on now some of the kids were being neglected some were removed for good reason and some were not and so, and there were a lot of kids being placed in boarding schools as well and so that's why the law was passed and uh, it was a very well-intentioned law um and it, it was uh it was congress was trying to respond to a very real problem but um ultimately congress passed a law that was flawed and it left too many loopholes and uh because of that uh, it's being used in ways that it was never intended to be used.
0: What are some ways that it is being used today?
1: Well, it's now being used to um, to take kids out of uh, foster and adoptive foster and pre adoptive homes in which they have formed very strong attachments and, and kids have been in a home for, for months or years and are thriving and doing extremely well. And then they're invoking the act and, uh, and removing those children, Where, whereas if the child had not been a native child, there's no way the child would ever be removed at that late date uh, in most situations. Um, one of the flaws in the law was they, in their definition of Indian child, um, One of the, I've often said that this was a political response to a racial problem. Um, The kids that were being removed and placed into non-native homes were experiencing a lot of racism. This was back in the 60s and 70s. We were a different country then. There was a lot of racism and these kids, you know, were the cute little Native American kids when they were young. But when they got older, they were having a hard time getting jobs. They couldn't get dates. They were ostracized. They, uh, you know, and and um, and they were experiencing racism. And and, but yet Congress couldn't pass a law based on race. So they had to they had to craft the law in such a way that it would pass uh, constitutionally. And so so. Um, so they had to. They did it based on what they call political status. And so they said that in, for, in order for the law to apply to a child, the child either has to be um, a member of a federally recognized tribe or uh, eligible for membership in a federally recognized tribe and the biological child of a member. So if the child is merely eligible, the, the parent has to be a member. Well, one of the problems is that and that's how they crafted it, so that they could stay away from the constitutional problems. i still say that they have constitutional problems and many, many attorneys agree because um, they're basing that constitutional status, their membership is based on, ultimately on the child's race or part of the child's race. The problem is that every tribe defines membership differently. And so you could have a child that's um, half Ute Indian and uh, living on the Ute reservation involved in Ute culture all their lives and maybe don't have enough blood quantum for the Ute tribe. So if that child goes into foster care, that child can be placed in a non-native home, even though that child is known Ute culture only for 16 years and is half Ute Indian. Whereas a child who lives 2000 miles from Indian country in Oklahoma, maybe is, is Cherokee and lives in Augusta, Maine and has one ancestor who was Cherokee 200 years ago, that that child is an Indian child, and that mm-hmm. child cannot be placed easily with a non-native family. I mean, that child might be one 512th Cherokee, mm-hmm. and yet that child is labeled Indian. Well, that you see, congress if Congress was worried about kids losing their culture and being taken off the reservation, and, and, and they want to address that, then why are we talking about this kid in Maine? Why are mm-hmm. we, you know, a kid who had no connection to the culture to begin with? You know, if, if, Congress had, if the tribes had come to Congress talking about that kid in 1974, Congress would have said, just go away. We're not gonna listen to this, this is not an issue. But the tribes weren't talking about those kids because they weren't concerned about those kids. They were concerned about the kids who were living in Indian communities or in res- on reservations and being taken away um, unjustly. Another way it's being used uh, in California in particular, a lot of families will claim native heritage at the last minute. You know, you'll have a biological mother who's about to lose her parental rights. And she's, you know, dragged out the process of termination of parental rights for two years. And then all of a sudden, oh, my great, 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 great aunt was Chickasaw Indian. And, and all of a sudden, everything stops for that child. And they have to send notice to the Chickasaw Nation. And they have to wait till they respond. And we have to look into that. And then the, maybe... Maybe, you know, they determine well, the Chickasaw Nation said that child is not Indian, so now we can terminate parental rights, but now another eight months has gone by in the child's life with no permanency. And then and then the, the mother says, well, I'm going to appeal because you misspelled my great great aunt's name. And so now we have to stop everything again and go back to the Chickasaw Nation and, and do the notice all over again. There was one biological mother we heard about from a social worker in, LA, in California that that the birth mom had claimed 60 possible tribal affiliations and the social worker had to track down all 60 tribes, you know, and and you've got tribes that'll change their membership rules. There were a couple of years ago, there was a tribe in Oregon that uh, required a one eighth blood quantum for membership. And so imagine you've got a kid in new jersey Mm -hmm. and this you know the tribes in oregon and the, the kid in new jersey is 132nd and the kid's been in a foster home for three years and is about to be adopted well this tribe in oregon put out an online poll of its members and said we're thinking about changing our membership to 132nd well what happens if they vote 51 to 49 to change their membership all of a sudden that kid in new jersey his placement is threatened and he may be moved out of that home because they changed their tribal membership we have a situation in um in Washington a couple of years ago where this this little baby girl was placed in a foster adoptive home. Her biological uncle was asked at the beginning of the case, will you take her? And he said no. He and his wife said no. We're students. We, we don't want to, uh, you know, but we are interested in future custody. And uh, so down the road, they're about to terminate parental rights. Her father is, a, I think, a five or six time felon in prison. And all of a sudden, somebody said, oh, she's part Cherokee. Well, the father's not a member of the Cherokee Nation. So the Cherokee Nation ended up enrolling him as a six-time felon. He got enrolled while he was in prison. And all of a sudden, because he was enrolled, the child was eligible for membership. And suddenly, that child was moved out of the home after two years. And she was on her way to being adopted. I mean, Mm -hmm. that's... That's child abuse. That's emotional abuse. I mean, that never should have happened. It never would have happened if the child hadn't been eligible for membership in the Cherokee Nation. And yet we see this all the time,
0: mm-hmm. and and
1: it doesn't do a service to kids. It really doesn't.
0: Well, how would you respond to critics who who believe that a cultural heritage trumps permanency of a child?
1: Well, you know, one thing. Well, I look at my own boys. You know, they're they're one sixteenth Native American, and they. Um, They grew up in Southern California. Their tribe is Northeast Kansas. They came to us at ages five and four. They didn't know they were part Native American. Their mother didn't even know the name of the tribe that she was a member in. And so their culture was Southern California. It wasn't Iowa tribe of Kansas and Nebraska. And yet when they were determined to be Indian children, all of a sudden the system saw them as Indian and their culture was Indian. That was their culture all of a sudden. So it's like, if, if it's a Native American child, that culture is suddenly all that matters to the system. And these are multicultural kids. So, but, but the other thing is, you know, we took the kids to the reservation and, and visited it and introduced them, we would take them to powwows, we would, you know, my brother bought them books on Native poetry and Native art, and we, we would study all the genealogy and the culture of the tribe, and they just didn't care. It wasn't what they grew up with. You know, they did not care. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, we can't force a culture on a child you know and, and permanency is i mean I, I would love to see the study that says culture is more important than permanency and mm-hmm. stability i i haven't seen it there's something they often cite called the the split feather study it was it was not a formal study but they they quote it all the time they say it all the time these kids are split feathers because what was happening was the kids were being taken from the reservation they were putting in put in a non-native setting and they were experiencing racism as they grew up and they weren't making it then they go back to the reservation and the people in the reservation wouldn't treat them well they would ostracize them and. And so they were split fe- they were split between two okay. worlds and they didn't belong in either one and yes that was the experience of people I'm sure that was the experience of some people that has nothing to do with my sons they yeah. were not split feathers they never were going to be split feathers they hadn't grown up on the reservation and were taken. I mean, anytime a child is taken from an environment and put in an unfamiliar environment, they're going to struggle with that, you know, because everything that was familiar is taken away from them. It's not different for Native American kids. You take a kid away from China, they, they're you take a kid from Rwanda, a kid is going to. But but a kid ultimately, God designed kids to be raised in families, and and if a child, if a child is able to get permanency and stability, then that's going to tr- trump culture ultimately, especially when we're when you're. Forcing that culture on a child that the you know a culture that the child would never have to begin with, mm. so I, I don't buy it that the split feather study has been you know it, it's widely quoted but but it's ne- it wasn't peer reviewed it wasn't an official it wasn't it wasn't a real study and and um, I've never I, I've never seen a, a true peer reviewed scientific study that says yes culture is more important in Trump's mm-hmm. permanency it just isn't out there
0: do you see a case where the indian child welfare act would be justified
1: it i've heard in some parts of the country it's still an issue Mm -hmm. where where family where kids are are like in the i think in south dakota there's there's been a problem um with with kids being taken possibly unjustly and and i think but but See that's good. That we don't need ICWA for that. We need good social work practice for that. We, you know, we don't. We don't. I don't want an African American kid taken unjustly. I don't want a Hispanic kid taken unjustly. I don't want an Asian kid taken unjustly, or or a white kid. I want every kid to be taken only if they're being abused, neglected, or abandoned. You know, so we don't need a special law set aside just for Native American kids, um, but and and i don't think and and again we you know we we look for biological family early on in cases anyway and and it's a good practice to place kids with biological family early in a case especially if the kid has a bio, you know has a connection with that biological family member but down the road, you know, we, I, I just don't think we need a special law set aside for just one subset of kids, especially when that subset of kids is defined so loosely. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, a kid that's, I've got a friend that um, that has her Cherokee card, and according to the Cherokee genealogy and everything, she's one 1,024th Cherokee. Well, her, although she thinks she's actually more, <laughs> but this is what the official, you know, and, and, and so her son is one 2048th and I've known him for over 10 years. If he goes into foster care, I can't take him. He needs to go to a Cherokee family before mm-hmm. he comes to me. That's insane. Mm-hmm. You know, he's not a Cherokee kid. Mm-hmm. So um, I, I just don't think uh, we need a special law. We need good social work practice everywhere. Mm-hmm. And we need to make sure that we're not removing kids unjustly, no matter where they are or what, what race or what partial race they are.
0: So what would you like to see happen to the Indian Child Welfare Act?
1: Personally, (laughs) I would like to see it thrown on the trash heap for good. I mean, you know, there's been talk of amendments over the years. Uh, I don't think it can be amended at this point. I think it really needs to be thrown out. And we need to have one law that that, you know, I mean, we need to allow states to determine their own, uh, you know, child welfare laws and policies. And we need to not treat kids of a certain political status differently. You yeah, know, that's one of the things I keep hearing say, yeah, well, you know, I mean if a Chinese kid went into foster care, are you telling me you wouldn't want to involve the Chinese government? Well yeah, but you're talking about like, okay, a kid that, that whose last Chinese ancestor left China six generations ago mm-hmm. and the kid goes into to foster care in Rochester, New York. I mean we're not going to notify the Chinese government, but we're certainly going to notify the Choctaw government about Lexi, mm. you know, when she goes into mm-hmm. foster care. But um I mean if she were one sixty fourth Chinese, one nobody would call her a Chinese kid. Nobody. Or she were one sixty fourth African American. Nobody would call her an African American kid and, mm-hmm. and search for her African roots. We wouldn't do that. Mm-hmm. You know, but we do that with Native American kids. And that but I mean I use that term loosely. My kids right. are not Native American kids. They're multicultural. Right and 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 yeah they didn't need a special law to quote-unquote protect them mm-hmm. i mean they just needed to be treated like kids
0: mm-hmm. we've definitely seen uh ICWA come into the headlines lately and you mentioned lexi can you tell our listeners just about that case and what's happening
1: sure lexi is a little girl that was uh had been in three different foster well she was in two different foster homes before she was placed in, in uh the pages home in santa clarita california and she was placed there uh four and a half years ago and she started healing from some of the (coughs) sorry some of the attachment issues and other issues that she had experienced before she had experienced neglect she had appearance uh, experienced apparent abuse in a previous foster home and she went to the pages home and she started healing and thriving and and she became a part of their family and um and uh, at first, her biological father denied he was Native American or, you know, had any Indian heritage. And then his mother let the system know, oh, he's Choctaw. And I mean, if it was really an important part of his life, it seems like he would have said it up front. But he didn't. And and so, um, so the Indian Child Welfare Act was applied to this child because she was deemed to be eligible for membership. And... Uh, some biological well they weren't even biologically related Um, a step second cousin or a step first cousin once removed or something like that we're not really sure what the relation is relationship is defined as I mean most of the places you read in the media it's a step second cousin Um, basically this person her uncle married Lexi's grandmother biological grandmother Um. So because of this very tenuous connection, uh, the Choctaw Nation said, oh, yeah, we consider them extended family. They don't actually meet the extended family definition under ICWA itself. It's kind of fascinating. But the Choctaw Nation said, yeah, we consider them family, even though they're not blood related, even though they're not Choctaw, doesn't matter. And so it was determined that she was ultimately going to go there once parental rights were terminated and, and, and everything. And so the case moved on. But in the meantime, she became really attached to the pages and and. And it was very, very clear that that, you know, from most people's standpoint, she needed to stay there and, and especially not you know to move to someone that she didn't even know prior to coming into foster care. And so uh, the case um, a couple of years ago, uh, the judge ruled uh, the judge basically said that I know this is going to be damaging to this child. This is going to change the wiring in her brain. But I feel I mean, the way she ruled, she basically felt like her hands were tied by the Indian Child Welfare Act and she needed to move her. So she ordered her moved and the pages appealed and the appellate court basically untied her hands and said, no, you know, your hands are not tied by this. You need to consider her best interest. And one of the things you need to consider is her bond to the pages. You need to look at that. So the case comes back to her and she ends up getting recused and she and it goes to another judge and he rules the same thing she does. And the appellate court shoots it right back down to him and then it gets sent back to him again and then uh it goes to another judge and then goes to another judge and that judge ended up ordering her to be moved and the pages have appealed that but in the meantime she was moved to utah after four and a half years in the pages home she's 164th choctaw again her father had denied being you know denied being choctaw when she when she first went into the system um she's never had any connection to choctaw culture uh the pages have reached out to the choctaw nation and asked for um for information but um that they're Requests were not heated, or and and so um, ultimately. I mean, so so right now she's in Utah, and uh, as of the, this recording, she's in Utah, and uh, the Page family is going to continue to fight for her. Uh, it's caused an uproar. There was a case a few years ago. I don't know if you remember the Baby Veronica case mm-hmm. that made the Supreme Court. It was actually the only only the second ICWA case to ever make the Supreme Court, and we were very involved in that case. That's when I was on Dr. Phil. Um, and that was a pretty controversial case, and and the public was pretty outraged by that one. And we ended up winning at the Supreme Court. The adopted parents won at the Supreme Court level, and Baby Veronica is now legally adopted by this family, and she's she's doing fine, and and she's in South Carolina, and and so we're, but we do believe that if this case ends up going to the Supreme Court, we would win, and I think it could take, I think ICWA could take a major major hit if it gets okay. back to the Supreme Court at this level. Because I mean, with this case, um, I I don't think that uh, I, I think the public outrage on this case is much more, it, it, I mean, it's, it's international. I mean, we have signatures on our, on our change.org petition, over 100, 120,000 signatures in about 100 different countries. Mm-hmm. I mean, people are outraged at what's gone on mm-hmm. in this case.
0: So if people want to get involved or learn more about uh, Lexi's case, where can, where can they go?
1: Well, they can go to the Save Lexi um, Facebook page. Uh, and and then there are various others that are writing about it. One of the things that's interesting to me, I mean, you know, a lot of people say, well, you know, ICWA for, you know, ICWA is the you know, Iqua compelled this, ICWA mandated this. But there's a guy named Mark Fiddler who's the top ICWA attorney in the country. He actually founded the Indian Child Welf- Welfare Law Center. I mean, this guy is part Chippewa Indian, and he's he knows the Indian Child Welfare Act better than anyone in the country. When he heard about what happened in Lexi's case, he said that this was a um, he said that was a horrible abuse of the law. Mm-hmm. And, and um, I mean, the law was not being used the way it was intended to be used in this case. And and he's the top ICWA attorney in the country. So anyone who says, oh, yeah, ICWA mandated this placement is wrong. I mean, that's just a lie. It's a myth. Uh, and, then the, and then so they realized that and then they said, well, it would have happened under state law anyway. But it really wouldn't have happened under state law. Under California state law, a, a step second cousin or a first cousin once removed does not receive placement preference for a child. The only the only relatives who receive placement preference under California law are grandparents, adult siblings, aunts or uncles. And a step second cousin doesn't meet that. And and even then, it, it's not an automatic placement. I mean, there was a grandmother that fought in this in the Stephanie M case. There was a grandmother that fought for custody against foster parents and she had relative preference. But the, the Supreme Court of California left the, cho- the child or children child with the grandparent. I mean, with the, with the foster parents against the grand. So even when you have preference, it doesn't automatically mean you're going to get custody. Um, and, and, you know, there were other things that played into the, the Pages case. The Pages are what's called de facto parents. In California state law, in California under ICWA, de facto parents can be considered extended family. And yet they weren't, you know, and and so um, I mean, that's another factor that people don't really understand and don't really know about. I mean, there's a lot of this never should have happened. Mm -hmm. And, And I think it was partly the Indian Child Welfare Act, but it was also the Indian Child Welfare Act in the hands of corrupt people. I mean, there were some very, very corrupt people involved in this case. Mm -hmm. and uh, that's a whole other podcast
0: (laughs) well johnson thanks for sharing and just a little bit about the history and and what's going on currently and i know that our listeners are going to probably have questions and so we will encourage them to come to the thinkorphan.com website and we'll try to answer those
1: if you can't send them to me and and if not we will send them to you (laughs) thanks
0: for being on we appreciate it thank you well, I hope you enjoyed that conversation that we had with John and I highly encourage you if you are maybe coming from this this issue from the other side. If you if you hear this and you think I totally disagree, we would love to to hear from you. We would love to even invite you into this conversation, possibly even with John just to sit down and just have a civil dialogue about a, an issue that brings up a lot of emotion in people and so please connect with us at thinkorphan.com or on our facebook page and we would love just to enter into the other side of this of this issue as well we hope you enjoyed it and we look forward to hearing from you Mike. Glad you could join me for some great seafood. Me too. Wait, why are you dressed in fishing gear? You said we were going out to catch great seafood, right? Yes, to Popeyes. Do you even know how to fish? No, I thought you did. Oh yeah, I could catch pretty good seafood at Popeyes. Let's go. Let Popeyes do the fishing while you enjoy our delicious signature seafood. Get Popeyes Flounder Fish Sandwich or Shrimp Taco Box before they're gone. Limited time at participating U.S. restaurants.